You're listening to The Road Not Taken Podcast, upstate New York's number one home for thoughtful, accurate commentary on news, sports, politics, and other topics. Episode 1. Hello, and welcome to the Road Not Taken podcast. I'm your host, Paul Capuano, and today we'll be discussing the Democratic Party, New York and Virginia's abortion laws, Chris Schaap's Porzingis, and the Super Bowl. So Cory Booker has just announced his intentions to run for president. Cory Booker is not the first Democratic aspiring 2020 hopeful to announce. He's not the second, or the third, or the fourth or the 5th, or the 6th, or the 7th, or the 8th. He's the ninth candidate. Now, only about four or five of those candidates actually have a shot at winning. People like Kamala Harris, Tulsi Gabbard, Kirsten Gillibrand, and Elizabeth Warren. But we haven't even broached potentially half of the candidates that are going to run. By the time this is over, the Democratic Party could have 20 people running very similar to the amount of candidates that ran for the Republican nomination in 2016. So Cory Booker has a few advantages going for him. Um, You've probably heard of Cory Booker before. He's a lawmaker uh, most famous for his I'm Spartacus moment and his opposition to the Brett Kavanaugh nomination to the Supreme Court. Now, Cory Booker is one of the more likable candidates. Uh, He's a very affable, easygoing politician, Um, Sometimes he comes across as forced, but when he's being genuine, he's the kind of guy that you could go hang out with, um, and that's something that's going to appeal to voters a lot more than some other candidates. People like Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, um, and, you know, people like Michael Bloomberg are going to have to battle the perception of them as negative, cold, and not caring. That will not be Cory Booker's problem. Cory Booker's issue is that He's going to be trying to take a different tack. Uh, He's going to move away from the strategy that most of the Democratic candidates are going to be using in the Democratic primary. He said he wants to run a campaign of hope, one of unity, and one of positivity. Now, most years that would be a winning strategy, but this is the year that the Democratic Party is trying to unseat President Donald Trump. Most of the candidates are going to be attacking Trump viciously, They're going to run campaigns that are based off of the fact that they can stop what Trump is doing. While Cory Booker might be able to stand out with his different approach, it's more likely that he gets buried. Um, People are going to be looking for a fighter, a counterpuncher, which is what the Republicans were looking for when they elected Donald Trump, and now the Democrats are looking for to counter Donald Trump. It remains to be seen how well Cory Booker does. He's definitely one of the favorites, but he's not the current frontrunner. Uh, That designation would probably go to Kirsten Gillibrand or Kamala Harris. Um, And, you know, if Bernie Sanders runs, then he'll probably have that designation, at least uh, for the early stages of the election cycle. Um, But by the time things wrap up, Cory Booker will probably finish around 10th in the polling data. Now, there was another important uh, announcement for 2020 this this past week. Uh, Howard Schultz has said he's going to run for president. Now, Howard Schultz is not very well known. Um, You may have heard of him before, but it's probably outside the political context. Uh, Howard Schultz is the former CEO of Starbucks. He's a billionaire. um, And 
he's a little bit of an interesting candidate. He said that he's probably going to run as an independent, not as a Democrat, uh, which has rubbed many of the Democrats the wrong way. Uh, I'll get into that in a second. But for now, uh, Howard Schultz. So Schultz is a Democrat um, in terms of his social stances. He's very, very, uh, you know, traditional left wing. However, he's made a point of breaking with the left on some issues like taxation uh, and the debt. He said that the debt is one of the most important issues facing this country, um, and he doesn't want high taxes. Uh, you could link that to the fact that he, you know, is involved in the business world as the head of a corporation. Um, but he incorporates elements of both left-wing social policy and right-wing economic policy. Now, the reason that Democrats are so upset that Schultz is planning on running is because he could essentially function the same way that Teddy Roosevelt did. If you recall, Teddy Roosevelt uh, ran as a bull moose candidate. Um, this was after he'd been elected president. He came back for another run. Um, he ran as a bull moose uh, platform, which is his name for a splinter faction of the Republican Party. Um, and he ended up dividing the Republican Party, a Democrat waltzed into office um, with, you know, it, enough of the vote to win, but not enough of the vote to win had the Republican Party been unified. That's the concern of the Democrats. Um, now, they're facing an incumbent Republican sitting president. But at the same time, uh, Donald Trump is not polling very well. He's one of the most unpopular presidents in history. The Democrats have a uniquely strong opportunity to unseat him. Uh, but if Schultz runs, it could create problems. Now, he will cipher some voters from the Republican Party, but most of his base is going to come from more moderate Democrats, and those are the voters that the Democratic Party has to secure if they want to defeat Donald Trump. Now, Schultz himself has uh, recently... Um, he hasn't said that he's freaking out, uh, but people close to him have said that he's very concerned by this, uh, this response by the Democratic Party. Um, he doesn't want to let it intimidate him into not running, uh, but, you know, it, the Democratic Party has come out very strongly. Uh, Michael Bloomberg, who also may run, uh, has said that Howard Schultz running as an independent would essentially destroy the Democrats' chances of defeating Donald Trump and has urged him not to run. Um, if you know who uh, Michael Moore is, he is a, a film director. He said that he's going to boycott Starbucks until Schultz decides not to run or he drops out. Um, and it seems as though the Democratic base is very unhappy. Um, of course, we, you know, we won't know anything. Uh, by the time this is over, you know, Hillary Clinton may have decided to run again, which is unlikely, but uh, there have been a couple of uh, rumors that that may be a possibility. Um, if she does, that completely changes the political landscape. Um, but we really won't know who's popular until the debates. Now, the debates are also an interesting conversation. Uh, you see, in 2016, the Republican Party did itself enormous damage uh, by having those debates. Of course, they ended up winning the election, Donald Trump did, uh, but there was a lot of infighting and it wasn't good for the party. Donald Trump viciously attacked Rand Paul. Uh, Chris Christie single-handedly destroyed Marco Rubio's presidential ambitions, and then Christie self-destructed and took himself out of the race. Um, and there was a lot of mayhem. It wasn't good for the Republican Party. Uh, the Democratic debates, which only had two or three people, were much more measured. They were much more controlled. Um, uh, the Republican Party was essentially a cage match uh, when it came to the debates. This is a concern for the Democrats. They have to avoid doing this. They have to keep their arguments focused on policy issues and ways to defeat Donald Trump. If they descend into attacking each other, 
Uh, so if, you know, people call out Elizabeth Warren for the Native American issue, or if Democrats attack Kamala Harris for being a former prosecutor, um, those lines of questioning, those attitudes towards other candidates could be very damaging. So hopefully for the Democrats, uh, they manage to keep it classy, keep it simple, explain why they're going to be Donald Trump, explain their policies, and leave it at that. Um, so the debates will be very interesting. Uh, if enough candidates run, they may have to do what the Republican Party did, which was decide who gets to debate based on how high their polling numbers are. Um, but it is likely that some of the uh, the minor candidates will drop out um, as the race runs on. So we'll keep you posted on that. We're actually going to have uh, an amazing guest come on and talk about the uh, the Democratic candidates, all of their strengths and weaknesses, their chances, and then some predictions. Uh, but that will be a little bit later. Uh, this is more of a precursory analysis. Uh, some of the major players haven't stepped in yet, uh, but we're very much looking forward to what promises to be a roller coaster 2020 election cycle. So another important news, both New York and Virginia have embroiled been embroiled rather in a national controversy over proposed or passed abortion legislation. So Virginia has proposed some legislation uh, that would, under certain circumstances, extend abortion up until uh, you know the, th the third trimester has started. Uh, it's unclear exactly what this legislation does. There's been a lot of mi misinformation swirling around the bill. Uh, some people are calling it infanticide all around. Other people are calling it you know solely a life of the mother exception. Um, we have to see what the bill says in uh, you know the actual text. We have to see what version of it passes, if it passes at all, uh, which is not a guarantee. Uh, Virginia is not a bastion of you know the Democratic Party. Um, we're not sure if the bill will pass, especially now that this controversy has uh, you know caught national attention. Uh, one of the co-sponsors of the bill is actually asked to have her name removed. So we'll see if the bill has enough traction to keep going or if a similar version will be passed in the near future. Um, but the problem with the bill uh, wasn't so much the content of the bill. It was the fact that both the proponents, the, uh, the sponsor of the bill, um, Kathy Tran, and the governor of Virginia, uh, Governor Northam, were caught on video seemingly endorsing uh, abortion up until the point of birth. Now, they have both said that they were misquoted or misspoke, and that they were in fact talking about a fetus that is non-viable or a life of the mother situation. Um, but there's been some, uh, some you know, rightful media attention on them. The problem with, uh, with uh, Governor Northam's comments was that he wasn't only talking about non-viable fetuses. He was also talking about fetuses that have a severe chance of growing up to have health defects. While on one hand, you know, it may seem appropriate to have an abortion in this circumstance, uh, there are people who are supposed to have health defects that have them turn out to be less severe than they thought. Um, there are people who, you know, have Down syndrome who, you know, do have challenges in their everyday life but would still pick life over being aborted. And you also have people who, you know, just work around those challenges. Um, personally, I know somebody who, uh, when uh, when he was, you know, in the womb when he was a fetus, his parents were told to abort him because of a health defect. Um, he turned out not only to, you know, have it be much less severe than expected, but he's a highly functioning, uh, you know, well-valued member of society. He's at, you know, one of the top 10 law schools in the country. 
and he's doing very well for himself. So it's not always true um, in every case that a non-viable fetus or one with severe health defects will in fact either you know die at birth or have an extremely harsh life, uh, which is why there is some controversy uh, and some outrage from the pro-life camp. Now, New York is uh, a little bit different. They've actually passed their law, um, and there's a couple concrete things that we can point out about this bill that are controversial. I'll explain both sides, and then I'll give you my personal opinion. Uh, but let's look at what the bill actually says. So the bill allows a uh, you know a, practic- a practitioner, which is not necessarily a doctor, but somebody who has the necessary qualifications, to perform an abortion after 24 weeks or at any time if the life and health of the mother are in danger. So on the face of it, this doesn't actually seem that different from prior abortion legislation that's been proposed in a lot of places and uh, like the actual legislation that New York itself had. Um, but the big problem here, at least in the eyes of the pro-life aisle, is that they've added not only the life of the mother exception, but the health of the mother exception. So the life of the mother exception is relatively uncontroversial. Um, the health of the mother um it's a little unclear as to what exactly health means. So the term health itself is not defined in the bill. From outside context, from other cases where the term health has been in controversy, uh, it's been interpreted to potentially include emotional and mental health. Um, we won't know exactly what the bill does until it's carried out in practice, so all of this analysis is a bit premature uh, if, in fact, you know, you're forecasting black or white um, you know, solutions, black and white consequences. Um, but there is a little bit of uh, vagueness as to what exactly this legislation does. The concern from the pro-life side is that um, the term emotional or mental health can be twisted. Um, having, you know, some level of mental stress on you for delivering and, you know, keeping a baby, um, it doesn't seem like that is enough to you know, justify having an abortion at such a late term. Um, The pro-choice side points out that it is highly unlikely that any woman would wait until right before birth, right before delivery, and then suddenly decide that, you know, she didn't want to have the child and then have an abortion. Um, There's some truth to both sides. Uh, Personally, the way I look at it, um, this law is, you know, probably not going to be used often. Uh, It's, you know, if somebody's going to have an abortion, they're going to do it long before we get to the third trimester. And that's a whole other debate uh, about, you know, if and at what point, if at all, um, you know, a fetus becomes protected under the Constitution. Um, But it does seem like, you know, it it won't have a dramatic effect on the way that abortions are carried out in New York State. Uh, While at the same time, um, if in fact it can be manipulated, if, you know, a doctor acting in good faith uh, gives a diagnosis of you know mental health or emotional health. Uh, it doesn't seem like that's uh, that's a circumstance where we would want to allow uh, an abortion at such a late stage when the baby is so far developed. So again, we really don't know what's going to happen. Um, there's been a lot of controversy over this. There's been you know calls for Governor Cuomo to be banned from having uh, communion or taking the you know the Lord's Supper uh, as a practicing Catholic. Um, there's been a lot of um, debunking from the Democratic Party that, in fact, this does not, um, you know, theoretically allow people to have abortions whenever they want to at any time. Uh, it really depends on what your view is uh, of the way that doctors give their diagnoses, uh, the way that patients go about having abortions. 
Uh, if you're extremely cynical, you're more likely to see the potential for this bill to be abused. Uh, if you're more, you know, standard, uh, if you don't, you know, if you're not cynical, then, um, you know, you'd recognize that the chances are, you know, not high that this would be carried out in the way that people are concerned. But regardless, um, both of these are national news incidents. Uh, Governor Northam, as a side note, was uh, recently discovered to have a yearbook in which there's one person in blackface and one person in a Ku Klux Klan outfit. Um, Northam, as I mentioned earlier, is the governor of Virginia, uh, which has proposed this abortion legislation. So he's also under fire. Um, Kamala Harris has called for him to resign. Kirsten Gillibrand has denounced his remarks and not yet called for him to resign. Um, Castro, another Democratic uh, nominee, or I should say candidate for nominee, has called for him to resign. And we'll see if, in fact, he does resign in the coming days. So moving on to our sports news, there are two big stories this week. The first is in the National Basketball Association, the NBA, where Kristaps Porzingis was traded to the Dallas Mavericks. And then we'll have our Super Bowl predictions. So Kristaps Porzingis, if you don't know, is a seven foot three tall center, uh, formerly for the New York Knicks and currently for the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, Porzingis is a budding superstar. He was named an all-star last year. Uh, he was averaging around 22 points, uh, and he's very young. He's, you know, he hasn't even hit 23 yet, uh, but he suffered a severe leg injury last year, so he's been recovering from that. He has not played at all this year, uh, but he was traded by the New York Knicks to the Dallas Mavericks. So the entire deal includes uh, going from the Knicks to the Mavericks, Kristaps Porzingis, uh, the, their guard, Tim Hardaway Jr., their backup guard, Courtney Lee, and their point guard, Trey Burke. Going from the Dallas Mavericks to the New York Knicks are point guard Dennis Smith Jr., Wesley Matthews, an expiring contract, DeAndre Jordan, a center on an expiring contract, and two future first-round picks. So the way this works is that the New York Knicks decided to trade Kristaps Porzingis for a young point guard prospect, Dennis Smith Jr., who has shown flashes of brilliance, but overall has a lot of work to do before he becomes a solid all-around player, two first-round picks, and a ton of cap space. Tim Hardaway Jr. and Courtney Lee, the Knicks players, had been under contract for more than one year, so uh, that limits the amount of money that the Knicks had to sign free agents that are coming up in, the, in this next year. So what they did is they traded those two players away with Porzingis and got back players on expiring contracts, which means that their contracts will be done at the end of this year. So once this year is over, the Knicks will have extra money to sign. So the Knicks have cleared potentially $73 million in cap space. They have enough money to sign one max free agent and probably even two max free agents at this point. So rumor has it that the New York Knicks have their eyes on Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, uh, or if one or both of those players does not come to New York, uh, there's also Kemba Walker, Jimmy Butler, Clay Thompson, Chris Middleton, and other very good or superstar players. The problem from this perspective, uh, or from the New York Knicks' fans' perspective, is that Kristaps Porzingis was a fan favorite. Uh, Porzingis was the best NBA prospect that the Knicks had since Patrick Ewing in the 1900s. Um, he was supposed to be the savior of the franchise. Um, and as a Knicks fan myself, uh, I'm not sure how I feel about this trade. Um, on one hand, I understand why they did it. 
on the other hand, uh, I've been watching the NBA for over 10 years, and Porzingis is my favorite player throughout that entire period of time. Um, so I understand why they did the trade. Uh, they're positioning themselves for free agency. They got some first-round picks. Uh, but at the same time, they traded away the best player in this deal, uh, albeit an injured one. And, um, you know, there's a lot of sentimental attachment to Kristaps Porzingis. Now, many fans are upset with Kristaps Porzingis because there's rumors that he actually didn't want to play in New York. He tried to force his way out, which is why the Knicks had to trade him. Um, that was actually backed up by the fact that before he put out uh, a thank you to New York Knicks uh, fans and the organization for his time there, he tweeted out a picture of himself shaking hands and grinning with the star of the Dallas Mavericks, Luka Doncic. Um, now, that may not seem like a big deal, but it's uh, been perceived as disrespectful to um, you know be hyping up his time with the Mavericks before he's said thank you to the New York Knicks. Uh, of course, Porzingis is only 22, um, I believe 22 now. Uh, you know, he's still new. He doesn't understand the framework of the NBA and the way that you're supposed to behave. Uh, but he's angered a lot of Knicks fans with the way that he's handled this exit. Um, you know, considering that Knicks fans loved the kid um, and were hoping that he would be, you know, a Hall of Famer for them. Finally, the Super Bowl is on Sunday. So we have the New England Patriots facing off against the Los Angeles Rams. Um, if you don't know who the Patriots are or the Rams are, uh, you've probably been living under a rock. Uh, just about everybody's heard of the New England Patriots. Um, they have the best coach-quarterback tandem in NFL history, Bill Belichick as coach and Tom Brady as quarterback. Uh, they have the most successful run of sustained dominance in NFL history and probably in the history of North American sports altogether. The only other team that can challenge them for such a long run of dominance would be the New York Yankees. Um, and, you know, it's debatable as to whether or not even the Yankees uh, had any one period as good as the one that the Patriots are in right now. The Patriots, however, are very vulnerable this year. Quarterback Tom Brady has looked very good in the playoffs, but the team does not have a lot of star uh, offensive talented players outside of him. They have two solid running backs, Sony Michelle and James White. Um, they have one good receiver and then a bunch of question marks. So they have Julian Edelman, um, and everybody else uh, isn't really up to the level of you know high quality NFL starter. Uh, they're more like average to mediocre players. Uh, the defense is okay. Um, it's not great. Uh, New England has actually had a, an interesting run of games this year where. They either get blown out, or they allow just few enough points to win. So uh, the way that this defense runs is that it bends, but it does not break. Uh, so we have to see how the Rams attack it. Um, personally, it seems likely that the Rams will score a lot of points. The question is whether or not the Patriots can get one or two stops. Uh, you know, stop them on one or two plays, uh, keep them from scoring. And, you know, if they can do that, then they'll give Tom Brady a chance to win the game. On the Rams side of the ball, we have perhaps the hottest quarterback coach duo. I mean, hottest in terms of, you know, jumping into prominence uh, in terms of a football uh, high-quality level. Um, so Sean McVay is the coach of the Los Angeles Rams. He's very young. He's in his 30s. He's actually uh, the same age as some of his players. Uh, and then we have Jared Goff. Jared Goff was a top two pick a few years ago, 
uh, and he's really come into his own this year. Uh, the Rams actually have, on paper, a better team than the New England Patriots. <clears throat> they have um, one really good wide receiver, Robert Woods, who is better than any wide receiver that the Patriots have. They have two good running backs. So they have Todd Gurley, who is perhaps the best running back in the entire NFL. Um, he hasn't been playing that well recently, but they've actually picked up a player called C.J. Anderson, who is uh, you know, known for being out of shape and not being very good, uh, but then turned into like the second coming of Bo Jackson over these last few weeks. He's been playing out of his mind. Uh, so the Rams have a deadly combination of two running backs. So they have the best wide receiver in the game, the best two running backs in the game, and they have a more talented defense than the Patriots do. They have the best defensive player in the game, Aaron Donald. They have Aqib Tlaib. They have Ndamukong Sue. Uh, they have a lot of very talented players, uh, but they always they haven't always played up to their level of talent. So they should be better than they are, um, and it remains to be seen if the best version of the Rams' defense comes to play against Tom Brady. So what this game comes down to is uh, a few things. The first is, are the Rams scared or nervous by the fact that they're playing in the Super Bowl? Uh, the Patriots have been to the Super Bowl many times over the last 20 years, uh, so they aren't going to be phased by this. Uh, but we have to see if Jared Goff gets nervous, you know, if uh, if the Rams themselves are a little bit starstruck and the Patriots can take advantage of that. Uh, we also have to see how well the Rams' talented defense plays against Tom Brady, and if the New England Patriots' defense can hold on long enough to give Tom Brady a chance to win this game. Um, and uh, we have perhaps the two best quarterbacks in football right now facing up against each other. So we have Bill Belichick on one hand, uh, the Dark Lord, the Emperor uh, of the NFL, and then we have the you know wonder kid, the new kid on the block, who's uh, perhaps lined up for Coach of the Year again, uh, Sean McVay. Uh, they're going to be drawing up defensive and offensive schemes to counter each other, uh, and we'll see who the true mastermind uh, on the coaching sideline is this coming Sunday. So as for the Road Not Taken podcast official predictions, uh, we are predicting that the Patriots will win. Um, personally, I want the Rams to win, but... I'm never going to bet against Tom Brady until I actually see him lose. Uh, every time that somebody thinks that you know Tom Brady's done, every time a, a sports uh, news analyst or a media host um, says, you know, Tom Brady's washed up, he's going to get taken out this year, the Patriots are finished, the dynasty is over, he's going to retire, uh, it seems like Tom Brady comes back, destroys everybody, and then wins the Super Bowl. So uh, I'm not picking against the Patriots. Um, but most of the United States will be rooting for the Rams, and I also will be very happy if the Rams win on Sunday. Uh, we will have our next episode, uh, in our next episode, a breakdown of the way that the game went, uh, as well as our thoughts on the NFL season, and then um, we can uh, put the NFL aside for a little while and focus on perhaps the best season in recent memory that the NBA is having, an incredible NHL season with some very top-heavy teams and an intriguing trade deadline coming up, and a Major League Baseball season that features another arms race between the Red Sox and the Yankees, as well as some other stacked teams like the Dodgers uh, and Indians. So that just about wraps it up for this episode of the Road Not Taken podcast. Uh, we will have some guests in the coming weeks. We have a an all-star lineup of uh, very talented and very knowledgeable people coming on the show. Um, so stay tuned for, uh, for those episodes. Uh, we're still working out a couple things on the technical support end, which is why we haven't already had a guest. Uh, but stay tuned, and we will have some great guests. Um, if you have any questions, again, you can 
email the show at plcap2020 at gmail.com. That is plcap2020 at gmail.com if you have any questions or, or comments or ideas for the show. So thanks for listening, guys. This has been the Road Not Taken Podcast. Podcast.